alternate friends, and welcome back to another episode of Glask Alice, the show where we jump down random rabbit holes and bring you wonderful factoids for adventures in Wiki Wonderland. I'm Drew, and I'm a proud owner of a VR headset. With me is... Oh. <laughs> I'm <so> Lindsay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Lindsay, and I'm in the 0.1% top listeners of Lord Huron this year. Oh, wow. Yay, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome uh, I am <laughs> I'm Sarah and I've had my head bitten by a camel oh wow that's <laughs> that's really something yeah some of us are born winners yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I in fact there was a, a mole behind my ear that was it looked a bit concerning don't need to worry about it anymore it got ripped off by the camel teeth <laughs> Oh wow. <laughs> uh, okay, this is the show where we jump down random internet rabbit holes. We start on the same wiki page and we click around using the links in that particular wiki article until we find something that is metrically interesting. We gauge whether or not something is metrically interesting by the fact that we cannot stop reading about it. Whether or not that means we've been nerd sniped, like I have been this week, <laughs> or we learned something new about ourselves, well, that's just where we end up. So this week, where did we start? I don't Dice. remember. Dice. Dice! Oh my God, for the millionth fucking time. We had to text each other like everything <laughs> over like <laughs> Fucking Dice. We started on Dice. Where did everybody end up? <laughs> Well, I ended up on a thing called Sacred Mysteries. What? That's my type of thing. (gasps) Yeah, into whatever that is. Sarah, where did you end up? I ended up on something called Code of Harambe, um, and it's pretty cool. I can give you a little hint. It's like a seven-foot monolith with some cool stuff on it. Oh, cool. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Where did you end up, Lindsay? I promise you I'm going to make this interesting. But okay. I, <laughs> I could not. Once I realized how long I was reading, I was like, fuck. Um, I ended up on the, the genre or class of language that we use to describe numbers. So I'm going to call it numerals, but it's actually a bit more about linguistics. Oh, okay. That sounds cool to me. Thank you, Drew. That that doesn't really mean much from you, but thank you. (laughs) That hurt me. Get wrecked. Get get fucked. (laughs) Your opinions don't matter. (laughs) We need need to get like company counseling for Drew. (laughs) (laughs) Don't sub to our Patreon for Drew's counseling (laughs) so I can keep beating the shit out of it. Oh Oh my god. I'm going to listen to this later and regret that I said any of that. I'm already sorry, (laughs) Drew. (laughs) Kisses. Can we start with yours, Drew? Can we, can we yeah, start? give us some mysteries. Oh, oh yeah, we will, but we oh, got to get to the question on. of the week. Yeah, it's the question oh, of the week. My. I'm so sorry. 
I'm on holiday brain mode. So before we dive in, question of the week, and I believe we have some listener submitted answers as well, which will be lots of fun. But the question is, what is your most irrational fear? So Drew, do you want to go first? Is your fear Lindsay? Yes. <laughs> now it is. Um, <laughs> Brunette, so, five, six women just wrecking your shit. <laughs> got a dirty mouth on her, too. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't say that. <laughs> you made me snort. I made myself snort. Jesus. Um, so my irrational fear. So I have a fear of sharp objects around my fingertips. Okay, that's a that's, good okay. It, because uh, I had I had a fish hook go through my finger when I was little. Oh. Uh, someone oh, yanked a fish with... hook out of my hand. <laughs> oh, okay. You two both are just grossing me out. It hasn't even been five minutes. <laughs> and then what made it worse was I opened up a can of soup and tried pulling the lid off, you know, oh, like, no. with a can opener. And I grabbed the side of the lid and then just tried pulling it off that way. And I cut. I still have scars on my fingers from that. And uh, how, how yeah. old were you? Were you a child? I was little. Yeah. Oh my god, poor Drew. <laughs> so yeah, I've got a rational fear of sharp objects around oh my, my fingers. God. You guys are destroying me. <laughs> I think that's I think that's a, a rational fear. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing my track record, yeah. Yeah. Wait, Sarah, I, is yours is your rational fear gonna be camels biting your moles off? <laughs> no. <laughs> real real talk, that sounds traumatic. That sounds really dangerous. <laughs> what, the can opener or the camel bite? The can Okay, both. Honestly, yeah, both. You guys are both traumatizing me, so I can only imagine. Oh my god. Well, I feel I feel for Drews because I once, while sewing, on a sewing machine, put my finger where the needle goes. No, no, and no. Sewed through my finger. No. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Oh no. That hurt. Sarah, you have done things to me that I don't like. <laughs> Sarah, yes, Sarah, right after he said that's his fear, you're like, another one. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm sorry, dude. What do they call it? Expo- exposure therapy? Get over yeah, your fears, uh, but I'm very sorry. That's good. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, um, how about we sandwich in a listener one? I've got one from um, a listener in Melbourne um, who said that their irrational fear is public speaking. Oh, that's, hmm. Which I think is super rational. Most, like a lot of people are afraid of public speaking. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the number one fear. Yeah. That's a good one. So we're with you, listener from Melbourne. What about you, Lindsay? Um, what paper? (laughs) (laughs) Does it matter what kind? (laughs) Uh, If it's like just about to tear, like if it's like soggy wet paper that may tear if you touch it. I don't, I really cannot explain this, but I feel viscerally nauseated like I can't touch it I can't look at it I can't feel it like it it, it, it 
elicits such a reaction in me that I am afraid of it. So like if a paper towel gets too wet, if a res- if you know like a <laughs> glass falls over on the table and like you know gets your papers wet and then you go to pick your papers up and you accidentally tear it while it's wet and sticking to the table, that like really disgusts me. <laughs> I love this. I don't know know where it comes from. I don't know why. But I, like, you know, if you are doing laundry and you, like, pull out a wet receipt from a pocket, like, all of these things. That is nasty. Yeah, they just really gross me out. Wow. While we're on the topic, I'll share uh, the other listener submission we have. I don't know where she's from other than Twitter. Um, because I asked this question on Twitter and if any of you want to follow us go ask Alice pod on Twitter I always post the question of the week so that you can answer it too and send in your submission so this comes from another Lindsay <laughs> yes Lindsay yeah and she spells it with an EY but it's hilarious because she and I until this moment had not met another person who has this fear so Lindsay and I both share a name and share a fear. We are both afraid of pregnant women. (laughs) Stop it. It was so funny. She was like, my therapist didn't believe me. And I was like, you tell her that this other Lindsay stranger, like is also, I am afraid and disgusted by pregnant anything, pregnant people, pregnant birds, pregnant dogs, pregnant fish. I, yep. I really, I I can't take pregnancy. I don't think birds get pregnant. What? How do they lay eggs? They eggs. I don't know if that counts as pregnant, though. (laughs) Where's the egg? Where's the egg come from? They just pop it out. I, I think something has to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Not like it just materializes. (laughs) Yeah, but like, don't like chickens make eggs like every day? Does that mean they're constantly pregnant? No, I. No, I don't think. No, because they're not. Some of the. Yeah, doesn't matter. We're digressing. Why? <laughs> why are you afraid of pregnant women? I, I, I'm so sorry. I know it's like a miracle gift of life, but I think it is disgusting. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know. Like, I've been are told you my entire... afraid of being pregnant? I mean, yes, but it's more like I'm afraid to look at pregnant people. And th- I don't want to speak for Lindsay, who I swear is not me talking about myself in the third person. I don't want to speak for this user submission, but I can say from personal experience, if I'm like in the supermarket and I see a pregnant person, I will look away. I, d- I don't know why. I-, I was told my whole life I would grow out of this and I have not grown out of this. <laughs> What's your fear, Sarah? Oh my goodness. I don't think... Any of my fears top being afraid of a pregnant person or a wet tail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't. I'm not judging. We accept you for who you are. <laughs> you don't have a choice. Like I can't get rid of these fears, and I'm also not leaving. So no one has a choice. <laughs> you are forgiven. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. <clears throat> okay. Um. An irrational fear I have is random spiders crawling up my legs. Oh, that's real if you're in Australia. Yeah, I that's, think so. It's very real. Yeah. <laughs> and every that's another rational like, fear. I think it's rational. I'll be falling asleep. 
Um, and like, you know how you just like feel something on your leg. And my first feeling is not, oh, it's a sheet or it's, you know, it's my pajamas or something like that. I freak out. I assume it is a deadly spider mm. and I whip the covers off the bed and I like yeet myself up, turn the torch on, on my phone and look <laughs> for that, the spider. There's never a spider, but that's, I, yeah, no spiders where they shouldn't be. I think that's a bit of self-preservation. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good I one. You should so. keep that. Yeah. <laughs> you should keep it. Yeah, and it's tough because I, I love spiders for what they do for the ecosystem. They're good boys and girls. Um, but I just don't want them touching me ever. Yeah, I, I think that's that. very reasonable. Yeah. I feel like that about pregnant people. Oh, my God. <laughs> so one day if I get pregnant, I'm not allowed to be near you. I'll just only keep eye contact. <laughs> I okay, just, this is gonna be so much fun. I can no! imagine Lindsay, Lindsay, with just like these wide eyes, just like staring at you, like trying to not look down. <laughs> Where I sudden, I suddenly start wearing really chunky necklaces that that like ruin all of my vision. <laughs> I like, them really high. <laughs> you just wear one of those cones from the dogs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can only look straight. <laughs> oh my god. That's perfect. <laughs> oh my god, amazing. So Drew. Uh, yes, tell us what was your thing? Mysteries. Sacred mysteries. Yeah, tell us the mysteries. So I ended up on the term sacred mysteries, which originally caught my attention because it had two specific definitions. Not just the, the two definitions that like, oh, it's got two things, I better look at it. But the, the two definitions specifically. Um, so the first definition is religious beliefs, rituals, or practices which are kept secret from non-believers or lower levels of believers who have not had the initiation into higher levels of belief. This concealed knowledge may also be considered esoteric. So that's the yeah. first definition. And you better believe that's the one that really caught my attention. Sure. Now, the second definition is beliefs of the religion which are public knowledge but cannot be easily explained by rational or scientific means. And oh. so, <laughs> so the second I was actually, I, I was interested in, but not as much as the first. And so um, I, I, of course, started reading and turns out the wiki article is more focused on the second definition. But... It was still very, very interesting. So um, to begin with, they talked about um, indigenous religions. And uh, anthropologists don't tend to use the word sacred mysteries when describing indigenous religions. But there, uh, a very common practice is access by initiation or rite of passage to otherwise secret beliefs. And so... Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I've um, said there's some cultures in Australian indigenous um, tribes where you have to reach a certain age to learn... The, the stories and so some I just bought um, some new face masks this is gonna I'm gonna get to the point in, in a minute but I bought <laughs> these beautiful face masks that have um, indigenous art on them and so it's from all indigenous artists from more central Australia and it comes with an explanation of um, like who the artist is their life and then what the painting is about and one of the paintings is they give like a general overview for the type of plant that they painted um, mm -hmm. but the actual art piece is inspired by this story that only if you have the rite of passage in this culture you can you can know about which i thought was really really cool 
Yeah, that's that's literally exactly what I'm talking about here, where they have, once you hit a right age or whatever, um, it's you have this rite of passage that you have to go through before you can, can learn the knowledge. And so this is, and this is one of my favorite words, so this means that a mystagogue, <laughs> a mystagogue uh, that's a holder of secret knowledge. So the holder, the mystagogue, only teaches those who are considered worthy of the knowledge. So anthropologically speaking, sacred mysteries are very common in indigenous religions. But when we talk about mysticism, on the other hand, that's more focused on the second definition with the knowledge that is public but cannot be explained rationally. So when we talk about mysticism more, that's like more fairies. kind of, but I'm talking more religion mysticism. <laughs> oh, fair enough. <laughs> 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 but um, that's that. So it is. It, mysticism talks more about that second definition. So when it comes to antiquity, which they moved from indigenous religions to antiquity, of course, um, there were very many mysteries, mis, mystery religions. Sorry, and many of these were cults that would require an initiation process before an, an individual was accepted into the cult. And mm. so, um, is this a lot like of, Scientology? No, no, I'm talking about antiquity, so like ancient Greece and Rome. <laughs> so Scientology. <Okay. laughs> Sorry, Sorry, I zoned out for a second when you mentioned that. <laughs> no, no, Scientology is later. No, so, so you, can I take a guess, Drew? Go for it, yeah. Bacchanalia? No, actually I didn't see that about, I didn't, I didn't see that specifically mentioned. Okay. Go off then. Let's see what's in so, it. So, <laughs> there were, um, <laughs> so there were often different levels of initiation that came with differing levels of knowledge of doctrine. So basically you'd have your initiates who would learn a little bit. And then you, as you progress through the cult, you'd actually have a lot more knowledge that you gained. And in some circumstances, only priests knew certain doctrine. So it was like only the highest levels of the, of the cult actually knew the doctrine. So that was very, very interesting to me was that these like differing levels exist. And um, what also was interesting, I'm gonna say interesting like a thousand times here. So, <laughs> so many of these doctrine were also mysteries in the sense of the second definition and that they required supernatural, supernatural explanations as well. So the cult in antiquity kind of kept secret mysteries in the, or sorry, sacred mysteries in, in both sense of the word. So the cults that they actually talked about were the Eleusinian mysteries, the Mithraism, the cult of Isis, the cult of Sol Invictus and the Essens, or the, the five they talked about. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Um, so as a quick aside, they didn't really talk specifically about them. So I had to go into individual Wikipedia articles for them. So if you want to know more, you can definitely read more about these than uh, what just kind of jumped out at me when I was reading through these very quickly. So the Eleusinian Mysteries were initiations held every year for the cult of Demeter or uh, Persephone. And they were the most famous of the secret religions in ancient Greece. And the mysteries represented the myth of abduction of Persephone from her mother Demeter by Hades in a cycle of three phases. So the descent, the search, and the ascent. And the main being the ascent. And that's where the, the, the Persephone was uh, reunited with her mother. And that was sort of the main initiation process that um, this cult went, into, went through. Um, I mean, it didn't really specifically say what that involved, but that was kind of like the whole, the whole, um, me not methodology behind it, but the theory behind it, I guess, is the, the term for it. So yeah, that was just one of the cults that they talked about. I don't know if they call that a cult, maybe. Yeah, it's a cult. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so did they um, leave? Oh, sorry. Go on. No, no, you go first. 
did they leave written record? Yes, of, I believe of... they did. That's so cool. Okay. I didn't, this was all just like, because I read these very, very quickly, and this was all just, just what jumped out at me. So yeah, sure. um, if you want to read more, there's tons, there's a whole Wikipedia article that's pages and pages long on these. So I will. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so Mithraism uh, was a Roman mystery religion centered around the god Mithras, which was inspired by Iranian worship of the deity Mithra. And I don't know why I didn't write this down, but I have no idea what he was a deity, he or she was a deity of. So I have no idea. But <laughs> more mysteries. But it's just more mysteries. Yeah, more a mysteries deity for nonetheless. You. Yeah. So the mysteries were popular among the Imperial Roman army from about the first century to about the fourth century CE, I believe this was. Um, so the worshippers of Mithras were known to have a complex system of seven grades of initiation and, of course, had differing levels of knowledge based on those differing levels of initiation. So as I said, it was kind of that like tiered system where mm -hmm. certain people would know certain things. And I just found that very interesting that, you know, there's there's um, like levels of knowledge that this cult had mm. based off of where you were in your initiation process. So that was just very just cool like to the, me. That's like very much like what the Freemasons did. Or do. We'll talk about that. Yes. <laughs> I love I love a good dive into Freemason bullshittery. Bullshittery, yeah, exactly. So the cult of Isis, <laughs> as the name implies, is a cult based on the Egyptian goddess Isis, and the Greece the Greeks regarded the Egyptian religions as a bit exotic and a bit bizarre. And we're, but that's but. rich coming from coming from them. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but also but we, like throwback real quick to when I was talking about augury, and the Greeks were like, "Okay, we're gonna need an Egyptian augurist to come here." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. They're exotic and a bit bizarre, but <laughs> yeah, but they but know they, what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, the whole thing is they said they're still full of ancient wisdom which is what they, they were very focused on, was that they were full of ancient wisdom. So the, the cult of Isis attracted a lot of Greeks and Romans playing on this exotic origin. So long story short, the cult was very popular in the 4th century BCE, but in the early 1st century BCE and onward, the worship of Isis was disrupted when it was believed that the Roman gods were not happy about her being worshipped. And so probably something was shitty, something shitty was happening in the Roman Empire. And they're just like, well, the gods are really pissed about, you know, us believing in these different gods. So let's, you know, let's kick them underground so that they don't, you know, they don't worship her anymore. That's and this, of course, f forced the cult underground and caused the cult to become mysterious for a time. But finally, uh, the cult was accepted after the first war, the final war of the Roman Republic. So basically after a long time, the... Uh, the, the cult was accepted, but for a period, because the gods were unhappy, they were not accepted and, and became very mm. mysterious for that time. Why did I so immediately think of Sorella? <laughs> <laughs> we had, where Drew and I went to undergrad, there was a band sorority that would still operate underground and do their initiations in secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. my god. <laughs> The cult yeah. of Isis. There you go. That's what it is. That's what they are. <laughs> Modern cult of Isis. Modern Sorella. cult of Isis. Sorella. Good. Claps for them. A little golf clap for them. So. <laughs> so the cult of Sol Invictus basically was a cult in the late Roman Empire, which had Syrian origins, oddly enough. Ooh. And there's a big debate about which Syrian sun god it was derived from. 
And so there's not much in the wiki article about the sacred mysteries of this cult, but what I did find interesting was that some historians believe that Christmas was set to December 25th because it was the date of the festival of Sol Invictus. So I found that a little topical right now, considering how close we're recording to Christmas. Yeah, that's really cool. How similarly Christmas sounds like Sol Invictus. Yes, yeah, Chrisum Invictum. Chrisum Invictus. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) Oh, my God. So finally, the, the Ascends, uh, which was a mystic Jewish sect that flourished in the 2nd century BCE to the 1st century CE, and it's famous for now, I'm sure you two know this, the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were, yeah. they were the authors of the Dead Sea Scrolls. I did not or, know this. Yeah, so the, the, the Essens, it's E-S-S-E-N-E-S. Um, yes, and um, so the article didn't talk much about their sacred mysteries, but they did talk about some of their doctrine which um, one of their doctrine was not to own slaves. They, um, they believed in working with your fellow man or woman, depending on what you want to say. And um, <laughs> one of their other beliefs was not defecating on the Sabbath day. So you couldn't poop on oh. Sabbath day. Oh what? my God. Um, that doesn't <laughs> sound healthy. It was just, just one day. Yeah, but imagine if you've got, you know, a little IBS, a little upset tummy what are you gonna do can't not be in the poop. cult <laughs> <laughs> can't be in the cult got ibs can't be in the cult, can't be in the cult. doors locked son <laughs> doors locked son anyway anyway so the whole point of this is the mystery traditions were very popular in greece and during the height of the roman empire and then lastly and here we go these types of mysteries were very common in the early christianity so, guess what we're talking about now? Christianity! Woo! <laughs> it always comes back to it. Yeah, and you better believe that was the most of the Wikipedia article was Christianity. So, so as Christianity evolved, the mysteries became less about secrecy and more about being mysteries of faith following the second definition. So, oh. we're going to be talking about Christianity a lot here. Uh, and it's very funny that we're having an atheist talk about Christianity, but that's besides the point. <laughs> You're unbiased. Um, we're in our own little atheist club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the early Christian church, um, so many aspects of the Christian theology were kept hidden from pagans because it would, they'd be ridiculed if they, did, if they presented <laughs> it to pagans. And so um, Wait, they were introduced they gradually to, con- to converts. <laughs> I'm sorry, wait, they hid it because they didn't want to get made fun of? Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a I think it's a little more than that, but <laughs> the Wikipedia article used the word ridiculed, so <laughs> that's what I used. Okay. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. That's great. It's good. Um, so, but as the age of persecution ended, which I'm guessing is probably a little more than ridicule, um, the secrecy of the, the Christian religion began to relax, and it transitioned from the first definition of being, you know, secrecy um, to the more second definition where it was more of the, uh, you know, sacred mysteries in the sense of, of being very uh, mythical almost. Um, 
So in the West, many aspects of the sacraments were recognized as mysteries, especially the, the doctrine of transubstantiation in the Eucharist. Now, if you don't know what that is, transubstantiation is the, the process by which the, um, the body and blood of Christ are, uh, I don't know, shoved into the bread and wine that they give you at, at the church. That's basically what it is. <laughs> I mean, Drew, do you remember, Drew, what they say? While yeah, the mystery of faith. Less- yeah, let us proclaim this mystery, mystery of faith. Of faith. As they, yeah. yep. That's exactly where this comes from. The sacred <laughs> mysteries. Wow. You are forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so the sacraments, or, uh, the sacraments and mysteries were used interchangeably in the East and West, um, the Eastern and Western Church, um, for a very long time. But modern Western Christianity um, has kind of pushed that out and it's now you know the sacraments aren't the mysteries they're just the sacraments that they are so I just found that that very interesting now we're going to talk a little bit about Eastern Christianity so the Eastern Christianity calls the sacraments the mysteries and unlike Western Christianity does not have a strict definition of how many sacraments or mysteries there are so the Western church is like oh there are exactly seven sacraments and it's all there is well the the Eastern church is much more loosey-goosey about the whole thing where you know they they define uh, these, more these sacred vibes. <laughs> sorry what <laughs> more chill vibes more okay. chill vibes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so they define the sacred mysteries as those holy acts through which the Holy Spirit mysteriously and invisibly confers grace upon man so it's much more just like it can be a lot of different acts it's not you know these seven sacraments it just like it doesn't have to be those it can be you know whatever mystery that that um, they want and um, Another kind of thing they, that they pointed out in the Wikipedia article was that the Western Church defines the bread and wine of the Eucharist as one sacrament, while they're considered two mysteries in the Eastern Church. And so it may seem like semantics, but I think that's, that's decently big in that, you know, it's like this is one sacrament and this is one of the seven sacraments versus being just, oh, two of the mysteries that are, that are like, you know, there could be many of mysteries. So I just found that very interesting. Mm. Yeah, I kind of like that that implies that the Eastern, it almost sounds like from this definition, the Eastern church is like, mm, Holy Spirit might do some more stuff. Let's give them room. Let's see what they do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, room to breathe. Call, yeah. yeah, let's not call it seven. We haven't lived all of eternity yet. Let's yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's, that's the kind of vibe I got from this whole thing was that like the Western Christianity is just like, you know, your holy sacraments are baptism, confirmation, They're confession. They're very uptight, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, it's like Holy Communion, marriage, and then, then there's one, one of them is following holy orders and anointing of the sick. So those seven are like, that's it. Like those are the, those are the holy mysteries or the sacred mysteries. So, you know, that's, that's all we have. While the, the Eastern was much more just like, hey, loosey-goosey, let's, you know, it could be anything. Um, so another thing is that the term sacred mysteries is not used equally by all Christian traditions. And uh, many of the basic aspects of Christian theology require supernatural ex- explanations, such as the Trinity, the virgin birth of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. And these mysteries are in the sense that they cannot really be explained by reason alone. And so I found uh, it. <laughs> yes, it, I was going to make, I'm not, it's Christmas, I'm going to be kind. We're not releasing this on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to be like, a lot of those mysteries are like, you quotation marks like mysteries oh yes mary was a virgin quotation marks well you know interesting you'll say that 
because the word mysterion or mystery is used 27 times in the New Testament and the meaning of this mysterion is mystical. So they had, they had a, it seems like they recognize that there's a little bit of mysticality to, to a lot of these beliefs. And, you know, it's not, mm. it's not hard and fast that, you know, the Bible, well, my interpretation well, of the Bible was that you sh it shouldn't be taken at face value. It should be taken as like, you know, stories to mm. teach you morality versus mm -hmm. being like, this exactly happened. And, and you know, it's not, it's not exactly that. So mm. it feels like this kind of use, the use of the word mystery in this sense kind of points that, you know, even then the Bible was kind of written to be not interpreted as purely like 100% yeah, factual. Face value. Well, that's also, that's extremely interesting because the word mystic is very different than, than the word mystery. Yes. Like, they mean very, very different things. I mean, mystery to us is like, you know, unknown origin or, you know, some unknown element. And a mystic is a person who is just devoutly religious, I guess that you could say, or, you know, yeah. really contemplative. Mm hmm So, yeah, so, to say that... Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, no, you go first. I, I really like this idea. So it, it, it's interesting that if that's where I'm just speculating and I don't mean to get canceled by religious, like whatever, but it, it sounds like if that's where the root um, actually comes from or where the word is kind of derived from, it takes on like a self-consistent religious meaning and not necessarily like needing to invoke some kind of third party of, of miracle. Mm. It sounds like it's actually just saying like, you know, if this was a mystic event, then this is something that was just self-contained in, in being devout to this religion. Not necessarily exactly. like, where did this come from? I don't yeah. Know, aliens, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's a mystery of faith, and that's that's where I think this this whole like sacred mysteries really kind of comes to a point is that you know Christian life is centered around the mysteries of the incarnation of Christ and the union of God and man, and so when when you look at these sacred mysteries, especially when it comes to the sacraments, it's meant to to connect the faithful in their own union with God, and so when you take all these things together, it just kind of made me really think because i found it very interesting that the the sacred mysteries were both a thing in the sacraments and also kind of like an idea in that like the mystery of faith and i just found that very interesting that it's that it's both of those things and so what it kind of means to me is that um these sacred mysteries are are so important and like a cornerstone of of the christian well christian beliefs and i'm sure other beliefs as well but it's it's it has this like it's a recognition of the the um, mysticism behind a lot of the um, like the beliefs within within a religion, and I just found that very cool that it it kind of felt like a recognition, and um, yeah, yeah, so so that that was just cool to me. And uh, Christians believe that God is present in all things, and that all creation is in some sense a sacrament. But they also believe that he, capital H-E, is more specifically and intensely present in the sacred mysteries. And so at the end of the day, these sacred mysteries are very, very important to the, the Catholic Church. So I just found that, that super interesting. Just this, this whole thing, I didn't realize how interested I would be in it, but um, yeah, it really <laughs> kind of took me in. Especially considering how religious it is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it is kind of cool how in a way that kind of 
resolves some of the like surface level hypocrisy that yeah. that it could have like with one interpretation. Um, so yeah, I, I agree that that's really cool, but also just like, I think the most interesting thing I've learned from this whole thing is that the ancient Romans and Greeks thought that the ancient Egyptians were weird. Like, I didn't know. I, didn't know. I thought they were all just like, I thought they were just like equal trade partners. Like, I'm being ancient over here. You're being ancient over there. Someday, someday people are going to look back on all of us as colleagues. But it's like, there's, there's like old timey cultural appropriation going on. There's <laughs> that was that really threw me for a loop. I was like, "What do you mean they're weird? You fucking freak!" <laughs> 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 oh my god! Uh, oh yeah, that's amazing. So, so that's to finally cool end here. this off, mm-hmm. there were several <laughs> other religions that the Wikipedia article really didn't get into. But uh, mm-hmm. they all have, you know, different esoteric parts of their doctrine or teachings reserved for certain members. Um, and they gave, a, they gave a list of like tantric Buddhism, Hinduism, Catharism, which I have no idea what that is. Uh, some no parts idea. of Shia Islam and the Druze religion. Hey, I got my own religion. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey, hey look at me. I'm a cool there guy. Was just, there was a hyperlink to go ask Alice in the wiki article. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Druism. So lastly, esotericism, which I love that word too, um, is a strong characteristic of modern movements such as Freemasonry and Scientology. And that's literally all the Wikipedia article said. That was it. Nothing, nothing interesting about Scientology or Freemasonry. They just like, oh, it's esoteric. Got them. So (laughs) probably because there's Freemasons and Scientologists like scouring the net trying to get rid of all of the information for me against them. Oh yeah. my God, it is, I cannot believe that Scientology is a thing. It, it's amazing. It's astounding, but you know, I actually know are. very little about Scientology. I think we all do. I think if you're on the outskirt, you're only fed certain things, but there's like different levels, but then to get to the different levels you have to do and donate different amounts of time and money. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. it's like, like a it, pyramid scheme, like it cut feels, It feels like a pyramid scheme religion. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, there's wow. a fun um, Louis through documentary on it where he tries to like simulate some of the, um, the indoctrination things that happen. Um, from you know written and recorded memoirs from ex members um, and it's really fun and yeah I love Louis so it's a good documentary but it is wild it's absolutely wild yeah very wow. wild that's very very, very wild yeah and then Freemasons I always just think of um, national um, treasure no I think of uh, I do but I think of the Simpsons episode with the um, Oh, what were they called? You know, the, the, the song where Homer accidentally joins a cult and it's like um, the We Do song? No, I don't, don't watch The Simpsons. Oh, my God. Hold on. That makes so good. I hum this song to myself because it's, oh, it's called The Stonecutters, um, The Simpsons Cult. And there's like this initiation song. And it's so good because it's all like, we do, we do. Like, they, they control the world, basically. 
Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it's really, really, really catchy. So, yeah, that was, uh, that was Sacred Mysteries in a nutshell. Wow. I loved it. Thank you, That's Drew. Awesome. That was great. <laughs> you are welcome. It was, it was tons of fun to learn about. Do you feel more or less atheist? <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel more inclined towards Christianity in the sense that it's cool that it feels like they recognize that there's some hocus pocus going on. Mm. Mm. Okay. You recognize the hocus I'm sure if you said that to the Catholic Church, they, they might would, be stoned. But yeah, that's that's how I feel about it. Oopsies. Well, I think that's, <laughs> fair. that's very I fair. I think that's of you. great. Yeah. yeah. So numerals represent, um, in other words, some kind of like a quantity, or they could represent a sequence. So like first, mm-hmm. second, third. Or how often something happens, like once, twice, or things like that. So what was interesting to me, or I think the part that really made me fall into the trap, was talking about numbers in different languages. So this is something that I kind of think about sometimes abstractly um, because my job is so quantitative. Um, I asked the question once a long, long, long time ago to a math professor, if we didn't have the language for numbers would numbers still exist? Would quantities still exist? Would math still exist? And maybe that's kind of an obvious question with an obvious answer, like, you know, math and predicting, or I guess some kind of deterministic quality, that's kind of just a part of nature, like a part Mm -hmm. of nature's cause and effect. So even if we didn't use the same numbers to describe quantities or the spaces between things, it would still exist whether or not we're talking about it. And you'd still be able to describe the same relationships, but just with a different set of language, kind of. Right. Like, it's just that ordered, having something that is ordered or orderable. Yeah. And I, and I think that along with that, some concepts, you know, we talk sometimes about, like, colors. For example, in some languages, um, the distinction between violet and purple and blue and navy like evoke distinct colors i don't know about you guys but like i never grew up knowing or understanding what violet actually was and i could not actually point to violet (laughs) or indigo for that matter to me it's just all purple or blue like i actually don't i cannot see the differences and i think that numbers kind of work very similarly where you've heard probably before that some languages don't have a word for zero that's more of a more of like a Western um, sort of idea. But basically that was that was kind of my primer for um, why I'm predisposed to thinking that a, a topic like this is interesting. So I wanted to see how different cultures and different languages approach numbers in their own language. So to warm us up, we're gonna play a little game. Yeah, okay. like games. Okay, I promise my games will get kinder and kinder as the show goes on. (laughs) (laughs) So I am going to say a word, and I want you guys to tell me the number that's associated with it. So when I say dozen, what do you guys say? Twelve. Twelve, yeah, yeah. So what's a baker's dozen? Thirteen. Yeah. 
What's a pair? Two. Two, yeah. Perfect. What's a unit? Uh, a big old chonker. <laughs> yeah, a big chonking animal. <laughs> no, it's actually one. One? I oh. thought it was one. Okay. I thought it, I knew there was a one in there. Yeah, just, just a little extra. <laughs> Ooh, how, about, how about a leash? Oh, seven. I don't know why. Mm-mm, it's not seven. Mm. Is it? Is it ten? It's three. Three? Why three? How about... I didn't know this one, but I tested this on Daniel and he got it right. How about score? Oh, four score and seven years ago. A score's <laughs> ten. No. <laughs> no! What? What's isn't score? It, isn't it twelve? No. That was a dozen. What's no, the score? Twenty. <laughs> Wait, so Lincoln's speech was talking about what's four score? Four 80, score and seven years ago means 87. The, I, until I read this article, oh. thought he was saying 47. He's saying Me 87. Too. I thought he was saying 47 years ago. I absolutely thought so too. No, he, he was saying 87 years ago. Score is 20. Oh God, I'm a dingus. Me too, Sarah. At least I, you know, I'm American. I'm supposed to know. That. Yeah, you're supposed to know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's some wild ones. So, do you do you want to guess what a shock is? Hmm. Is it like a hundred? No, it's sixty. Sixty. Why sixty? I don't, I don't know. It's the base of the sexagesimal number system is a shock. I shock. Is it because you reach 60, you get a shock at all your aches and pains? I, you get like a shock of gray hair. Like, I yeah. <laughs> um, how about a gross? Oh, um, that's disgusting. <laughs> a gross oh. is, you want to guess? I'm going to guess. Nope. I'm going to guess like 17. No, 144. Why? So I think... What is that? I think the confusion, if I'm interpreting all of your guesses correctly, is that we live in a decimal system, a base 10 system. Our language is base 10 most of the time. So... To think that some number systems are based on or use things like a gross, which to us seems totally arbitrary. Why would we ever care about 144? Well, some base number systems care about 12 squared. Oh. I was about to say 12 squared, but <laughs> that <Yeah>. makes sense. <laughs> You're so smart, Drew. So a great gross is 12 cubed, which is 1,728. And where is gross used? Is it used in a certain culture or language? So I would say that cultures or languages that have a base 12 system probably use gross, but we still use it as a unit of measurement um, in English. Really? Mm-hmm. What we do you measure with it? Um. Well, it derives, I'm straight up reading this off Wikipedia. It derives from the old French gross. Oh, I cannot read French. It, it derives from French, <laughs> uh, meaning large dozen. 
Oh. Um, and so the number system that is base 12 or duodecimal will use something like a gross. So I'm going to get to that. Um, but now that you know, save it somewhere in your mind. Now you know what a gross is. It's 144 and it's from the base 12 unit. I am actually going to spend most of my time talking to you about different number base systems. Okay. Cool. Okay. So I figured maybe we would start off with the most, to me, insane concept of all, which is that not all people count. Not all cultures count and not all languages count. There are really? some languages for real. Yes. So how do they how do they count? Good, good question, because it kind of inevitably in life, we do have to express quantities in some way. <laughs> yeah, in right? some way. So they there are some cultures that do not have a numeral class in their language like we do with English. Wow. Um, so particularly the peoples who this would apply to are like hunter-gatherers who have no use of commerce. The hunter-gatherers who have existed and still do exist actually in some Amazonian languages, but also the Walpiri of Australia. Hmm. Oh, I don't know cool. if you're familiar with that. Um, they don't have words for two or it. So according to the wiki article, there are some cultures that don't have words above two and other cultures that don't have words above four before colonialism came. Mm. Colonialism brought numbers. Oh, colonialism brought a lot of things with it. A lot, <laughs> yeah. of, a lot of bad things. So and numbers. Apparently, yes. Well, I mean, apparently a lot of bad things, but apparently they brought numbers, which debatable because my life was certainly more simple before numbers became involved. So. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so yeah, not all people count and they don't all have a use for it. And I thought from there, it would be a good segue to talk about number systems with no base. Ooh, so this, okay. we in Western culture are very used to what's called the decimal system base 10. So talking about language and numbers that have no base is honestly very hard for me to wrap my head around. But the people who use number systems with no base actually just point to body parts. And so what we would consider numbers one through four, they would use for their fingers on one hand, and then five mm. would be their thumb. And they would just okay. continue to point to body parts. So wrist is six, shoulder is eight. And when you want numbers that are larger than, you know, around 17, you start pointing to the other side of your body. Oh, so like you could point to your, your bum cheek or like the back of your knee. <laughs> I think that it's like large numbers go to your head and around your back. I think first it kind of starts in the front. <laughs> But I like where your head is at, Sarah. I want to know how much my bum is worth. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I don't, honestly, I I think it may just, I don't know. It's very hard for me to imagine, like, I would be, like, translating for myself, like, wrist equals six equals this number. And, like, Mm. I default to, like, using my fingers. Like, to me, when I think of the number six, I think of how many fingers are six, you know? So yeah. I thought it was yeah. very cool to think of different parts of the body just so differently than I already think of numbers. Yeah, I think um, that's really, really cool. <laughs> so and I amazing wanted... that you can get 17 before you have to go around to the other side of your body. 
Yeah, it kind of goes like all the way up the arm. Wow, um, that's and then really, really cool. Side. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you guys, um, what number base systems are you already familiar with? So I kind of already said decimal. So that's hmm. one of the ones we use. Can you think of other base number systems we use all the time? A base two. So what, do you remember the word? Um, when it's zeros and ones. No, binary. 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 Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> so binary, um, a lot of times in coding, you may encounter it as just a simple true false or a zero one. So logic yes. systems like computers use binary, which is a base two. Exactly. So it, binary, base two is not the same as being part of the, do, uh, the decimal system of base 10. Um, that is its okay. own number system. So I, I think you, maybe you've seen like some clever like nerd clock gifs where it'll tell you the time in binary. Yeah. They yeah, never. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, they I don't exactly have to. They don't use one through 10. It is always zeros and ones. And that is it. Or things that are based on zeros and ones. So that is the binary number system. Can you think of any more? Hmm. I kind of gave it. Rhythmic? You you gave one away with the Dewey Decimal System. I did not Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> Wait, when did I talk about the Dewey Decimal System? No, you said Duo. De- I almost said Duo Decimal. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the Dewey Decimal System, I think, is still base ten. But is it really? I had no. I have no fucking clue what it is. So. So something is base. Something is base 10 when, um, for example, the decimal system, like when you think of a decimal, how do we represent parts of a whole? Well, a whole is 10. So if I said like oh, zero, yeah. like 0. 0.1, 0. 0.2, 0. 0.3, oh, when do I get yeah, to yeah. a whole? It's after nine when I get to 10. So that's, that that's us using base 10, yeah, in our decimals to represent parts of a whole. Um, I kind of gave you a hint with my binary example, though. Hmm. Something we use every day? Uh-huh. Um, you can tell me if you give up. Is it, like, via computation that we use every day or in conversation? <laughs> yes and yes. Oh, shit. It's all around you all the time. I'll just tell you, it's time. Oh, base 12. Oh, my God. Actually, <laughs> our time is sexagesimal or base 60. Yeah, that makes what? sense. Oh, duh, 60 seconds in. Okay, please ignore me. I will edit myself out. <laughs> 60 minutes in an hour. 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour. There you oh. go. Yeah, so degrees, minutes, and seconds. Why Why is that? Why is that base 60, but why didn't we make it base 10? I actually don't know. the rest know. of the Western world. That is I, insane. I don't know the history, but as far as I do know, the decimal system originates with the ancient Egyptians, and the sexagesimal system originates with the ancient Sumerians. Oh, Ooh, okay. Yeah, and there are some um, cultures in New Guinea, the Akari language, um, still use a sexagesimal base uh, number system in their language. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. 
And um, I think the final one that you may not guess because we really don't use it that often is the duodecimal system that I gave away. That is base 12. So that was the dozen. Um, Apparently, the ancient Romans used this. So what's interesting is that they used decimals for integers and then duodecimal for fractions. So their fractions, when they were talking about pieces of a whole, were in the duodecimal system. So the ancient Romans, of course, wrote uh, Latin and Roman numerals happened to be a base 12 system. Well, the way that they used it back then when they developed it. I guess now that doesn't really make sense because you have things like X and V, which seem to be like five and 10. To me, that mm-hmm. doesn't very seem very much duodecimal, but um, it's at least the uh, ancient Romans who came up with a base 12 system, or I don't know that they came up with it, but they're at least maybe one of the older cultures to use it. And I thought it was very interesting that the reason a base 12 system would be useful is because it actually has so many convenient divisors. So 12 can be divided by two, three, four, and six. Meanwhile, yeah. in our base 10 system, we've only got two and five. Two and five. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there really seems to be a use. And I thought this was a yeah, onto super, something. Yeah. A super interesting tidbit is that Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien's, um, Elven languages use a duodecimal system. Really? <laughs> so cool. Oh my yeah. God, just such a nerd. I love it. <laughs> uh, but also, um, currently, I think that there are some languages in Nepal, India, Nigeria, and the Congo that also in real life use a duodecimal system. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Not to be confused with the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> what the fuck even is the Dewey Decimal System? That's how you. That's how you find books in a library. Oh. <laughs> Which apparently you should go to. <laughs> yeah, apparently, I should go to. I couldn't help myself. I'm sorry for being mean to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making everyone else feel comfortable. Yeah, by bringing me down a few notches. <laughs> oh, true. <laughs> Okay, edit this out, Sarah. Edit this out. There she goes again, bullying Drew. (laughs) (laughs) We really are siblings. (laughs) Okay, I would would give you a hug, but you're really far away. (laughs) So I wanted to... I wanted to at least leave you, if I didn't already blow your minds, with some other really interesting... Wow, we, we say interesting too much. With some unusual, <laughs> or to me, unfamiliar uh, base counting systems. Okay, so you can imagine that the decimal system that we use probably originated because we have 10 fingers. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of oh, sense. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I already blew your mind. I wasn't even... <laughs> <laughs> that was the setup. That was <laughs> so yeah, it is thought that we we use the base ten system because we have ten fingers, but you could easily take this concept and apply it elsewhere. So there are some cultures or some languages that use a base five system, the quinary system. Um so apparently there's this place called Epi Island that I was not familiar with before reading this, and they are base five. And um, their language is, is based around um, units of five. So a luna 
is five. A Lua Luna is 10. A Tolu Luna is 15, so on and so forth. So it's kind of like multiplying, yeah, by five. Um, And what they'll do in a language like this is when they're trying to say a number like six or seven, they will say five and one, five and two. Everything comes back Uh. to five. Um, But what was cool, I thought, was that the Aztecs uh, would use a base 20 system but have a sub base five, which means that they would mostly talk in twenties and fives. And that kind of reminded me of the way we talk about money. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't think of money in terms of tens. I actually think of money in terms of twenties. Okay. Yeah. Or fives. Yeah, I can see that. 20 or five. Yeah. yeah. So 25. That's what I think of it. And yeah. So um, at first I was like, wow, I don't know how I'm going to wrap my head around that. And I was like, wait, we kind of do this all the time. Um, So to me, undoubtedly, the most fascinating number system is base four. And I I would make this argument because of what it's based off of. Clearly, we, we, well, not all of us, but many of us have five fingers on our hands. Um, it is in fact a dominant gene to have six fingers on your hand, but that's a story for another time. Maybe someday <laughs> we'll all have six. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. cool. Yes. One day we will have to learn about this. Um, no. So where do you think the base four number system came from? Your limbs? Good. That's actually almost exactly right. Really? It is almost exactly right. It is based on, um, at least with one of the examples in the wiki article, dogs. Oh, that's the best. (laughs) Dogs have four legs. But of course, other animals that we rely on, like livestock, also have four legs. So some cultures have developed their counting based on the number of legs, animal legs. Oh, I like that. That's way better than 10 fingers. I would rather have four dog legs than 10 fingers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Not on too. my body, but <laughs> in my counting system. <laughs> yeah. And I think the place I want to leave us off that segues nicely into your section, Sarah, is the vigidesimal system, or sorry, vigigesimal system that I mentioned before, base 20, is the idea that we would include all fingers and toes. So that's where 20 comes from. And this was used by the Mesoamerican indigenous cultures, as well as the Mayans, as well as the Celts, as well as the Danish, and um, I guess really old-timey ancient French. And Hmm. that is where we come back to, I promise we would come back to score. So if I say... Let's see if you can get this. Where did I put the fact? <laughs> I lost the fact. <laughs> it's fine. Music. <laughs> I lost the fact and it's not going to come back because it was for a different number. <laughs> the reason I wanted to leave us off on vig- vigesimal. Vigesimal. Oh, that doesn't sound Whoa. good. Whoa. No. <laughs> <Vigesimal>. <laughs> Um, The reason I wanted to leave us off on this is because the word score 
when we say so we learned earlier in the segment that score means 20, 20 um yeah. it is a score based system the word score actually comes from they think tally sticks used by the ancient celts and i did not know what tally sticks were but these were of course way 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 back animal bones and they were ways of keeping um like record of numbers or just like quantities. And so tally sticks eventually somehow became the score. And that was the base number. So this is like a super ancient, ancient way of keeping track of numbers. Wow. That's really, really cool. Yeah. So um, it looks like we owe a lot of different number systems to a lot of ancient people's all over the world. And it's just amazing to me, at least, like all of the different places we took inspiration or all of the ways that we um, combine them in- and use them in everyday life. Yeah, yeah. And like what was intuitive to people? Is it intuitive to think in terms of every digit, like quite literally, you did? I meant this as fingers and toes, but I guess maybe that's where digit comes from. <laughs> <out. laughs> Yeah. Is it is it intuitive for you to think of one hand? Is it intuitive to think of two hands? Is it intuitive to think of dog legs? <laughs> Whatever's intuitive. You know it, for me, it's definitely dog legs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that yeah, that is all about numerals and all of the different languages all over the world that use different number based systems. Damn girl, you made it cool. I don't know how you did it, but you made it real cool. <laughs> yeah. You're sweet. I don't deserve you being so nice to me. <laughs> Especially when you're so mean to Drew. <laughs> it's how it's how I show affection. Just a little slap. <laughs> like a cat. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, like a cat. <laughs> I'm just gonna claw the shit out of your arm so you know I love you. Love you. <laughs> anyway, let's hear about some statues. Oh, hell yeah. So you're going to, I think you're going to be surprised at what this is. So I'm going to, I'll give you a little insight and I want you to guess what it is. Okay. Okay. Oh, go on. Okay. So, um, the page I landed on was called the Code of Harambai. Uh, and I'll give you some little hints. So it is a massive basalt stone, which is 2.25 meters high or about seven and a half feet tall really really tall huge <laughs> compared to um you know the size of me at least <laughs> um, so very large rock uh it was discovered in 1901 uh at the site of Sasian in present day iran and you might be able to guess what era it's from um if you know a little bit about what was in iran many thousands of years ago um, and I'll give you one more hint is that there's things carved onto it. Is it like a, a Rosetta Stone? Kind of like a Rosetta Stone, not for a language, but for something else. Mm. Hmm. Is it for numbers? Not for, not for numbers. Imagine, imagine we... <laughs> <laughs> I, was just, I was like, this is too good to be true. <laughs> oh my Numbers. God. No, um, it is. Do you want me to tell you? Yes. Yes. It, okay. It is thought to be the best organized and longest preserved and most well-preserved legal text from the ancient Near East. Ooh. Oh, that's uh, so cool. 
it is so cool. So they think it is from about 1755 to 1750 um, BCE. So almost 4,000 years ago. So about 3,700 years ago. Oh my um, God. And it is a Babylonian legal text, which okay. is really, really cool. So where Iran, modern-day Iran, is uh, today is near the sites of where a lot of ancient Babylonian cities used to be. And so it is purportedly, they think it is from the Hirambi, uh dynasty, and he was the sixth king of the first dynasty of Babylon. And so there was some funky history that happened with the 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 third dynasty falling from this other ruling but but it's this common era which is really really cool and the reason um this is kind of like the rosetta stone but for legal systems is they think it's kind of this grounding or this beginning place where a lot of common law that we still use today kind of comes back from so this idea of you know um one of the most common things is um an eye for an eye, um, oh. which you've probably heard of. So this this idea of someone is to take your eye, well, you get back at them by making it even, which, you know, isn't used so much in modern day <laughs> legal standings, um, but was very common throughout the last few thousand years as a way of, you know, legal justification to things, as if someone took something of yours, you could take something of theirs. Um, and I thought it was really fascinating. There's, so the stone is just absolutely beautiful. We'll post pictures all on our social media. Um, but it's got both uh, an, an epilogue and a prologue, um, which the first, um, the prologue kind of explains, you know, who the king is, the, the time that it was carved in and the gods that they worshipped. So kind of like a setting stone for what was happening in the era. And then the epilogue explained how these laws were, used um and then you know how did that fit in with both the, the dynasty but also with religion as well and then smack bang in the middle of that were all of these common laws and there was 14 of them oh my which god I think is really really cool yeah yeah so <laughs> i thought it would be fun to to learn about some of the laws was just to um give you some crimes and we can guess what type of punishments people should get <laughs> yeah oh yeah i'm into it <laughs> hell yeah Okay, so, uh, yeah, the legal areas, uh, areas, so there's about 14 different legal areas, uh, areas on the, on the, um, that covered, but there's about almost 300 individual scenarios or cases basically explained. Um, so they've summed them into these 14 clumps. So we'll go through and we'll, we'll do some clumping. So let's start with the eye of an eye, cause that's a classic one. Okay. Um, so this is in relation to the idea of assault. And so um, if someone should blind the eye of another, then they shall blind the eye of, of the attacker, basically. So in relation to assault, it was very much if somebody hurts you, it was legally okay to hurt them back. In like a literally? Way. Literally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Very okay. literally, not I figuratively. Kind of, right. I kind of thought that was like a metaphor no well i think now it is um but back in the day it looked like there was at least 20 different um different standings carved on here that were basically it said it was okay so like if somebody okay wow okay if somebody oh my god then drew could just like beat the shit out of me right now (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he could. Yes, yeah, Sarah loves it. Yeah, he could. Oh, but he wouldn't do that because he was a big sweetie. He's oh, single you know ladies. Me. You know me too well. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I have some other fun examples, though. Okay, let's do it. Um, so <laughs> this one is uh, basically a, like against like perjury or lying under oath or making false claims. Um, so one of the examples is if someone is to accuse another human um, with charges of homicide, but there is no proof against them, then the accuser uh, needs to be punished. Do you want to guess how the accuser what punishment the accuser would get. Get that they tongue start... out. Oh! Oh, that's a good one. Cut the tongue out. Okay, I was going to say they start an equally nasty rumor about that person. <laughs> <laughs> that would also be, I think, nicer than what, what is going to happen to the person. <laughs> Let it be so... known. Let the record reflect that I was nicer than Drew on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so back in the ye old days, um, then the accuser, the person who brought forward this this horrible rumor, would be killed. Oh, Full stop! Yes, oh. that's one way to stop rumors being spread. Okay, um, well, yeah, that's a little different. I'm, but okay, but like, what if, what if it was just the the system that failed them? You know, <laughs> like I I think it might get a little muddy, but the the gist is like. Yeah, I think this, so I thought this one was really fascinating because um, I listened to a lot of different legal podcasts and especially one called Undisclosed, which I just adore. And it's all about wrongful convictions and either they're wrongful mm. based on the evidence, there, there wasn't enough evidence or there was corruptness happening within, within certain systems. Um, but so many cases where it's literally someone who they can prove is lying through their teeth is lying about something accusing someone of murder or something horrendous and nothing happens like there is no apart from maybe a testimony being stricken um like very little times does consequences fall on people especially people of authority um oh which i think is fascinating so let me ask you, Sarah, what, how do you, with, with all of that knowledge and experience through podcasts that you've listened to, um, how do you feel about this, this law, this equivalence principle? Um, I don't love the idea of, I don't think anyone should be killed because okay. I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm a hippie dippy. I'm against the death penalty Great. type of thing, um, mainly because of the corruption of, like how sound evidence is for different things. Um, but I also just don't think you should kill people full stop. Um, but I do like the idea of if you, you know, if you were giving false testimony of some type of charge, which I guess is perjury. If you lie on the stand, that's something that Mm -hmm. can happen. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I thought it was fascinating that they, they were very serious about it a little bit too serious. I think, Mm. um, but pretty serious. So let's move on now. So we've we've talked a little bit about lying. Um, what about stealing? So <laughs> this is a good one. <laughs> so okay. this is classified as like property offences because property was owned back in the day. Um, 
Okay, so if someone was to break into your house, what should you do to that thief? Or whether they stole something or not, they've been caught breaking and entering. What do you think is the just punishment for oh. someone who has been caught breaking into your house? What would you do in modern day? Uh, depends. <laughs> depends if we're in a stand your grounded state. I was going to say it depends oh my what God. state you're in. <laughs> Yeah, where, where in this great country of ours are we? Where in this great country are we? Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. I think stand your ground might come in a little bit into this. Um, So in Australia, you can't... I mean, there's self-defense. But if someone breaks into your house, you can't just kill them and get away with it. Like You say that like it's common sense. And I agree it with you. It is common sense. <laughs> no, I, I agree like, with sure, you. Sure, yeah, sure, you, you should be able to protect yourself. But, like, come on. The, you hear some of the things where it's just, like, an excessive amount of force or, or firearms were used. And you're like, well, that was unnecessary, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So if it was someone breaking into my house, I think they should, you know, maybe go to jail for the night and then have like a charge brought against them and have like a fair and just process that would be my oh that's nice yeah that's i like things forgiving. fair and just yeah this though um this is more stand your ground uh and it is you shall king- kill them uh by hanging them in front of your your place so oh yes set up a nice little gallow <sighs> Out the front of your property. Let the kids paint it. Oh my god! And you ward off you ward off future future <laughs> thieves. Well, I think it was kind of that like shaming and you know not shaming and naming, but kind of like like watch out. Well, there's yeah. nothing to watch out for anymore. He's fucking dead. Oh, exactly. It's <laughs> like it's like a warning for I don't know. I for think anyone it's else, a little, a little intense. Um, wow! Very, really very Vlad yes. the Impaler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so some of these are just like you know very hardcore. Like, oh, we're just gonna kill them. Okay, uh, but then we get to some that are very reasonable, and I'm so confused. So this one, this one is um, about like paying land or paying due um for different for different processes so maybe you're renting land or you're renting a house or whatever it is okay so it's got a bit of a a bit of a preamble but here we go so if a man is debted uh has a debt lodged against him uh but his field is devastated by the storm god adad uh, and a flood sweeps away his crops and there is no grain to grow in his field due to the due to the uh either the insufficient water or the water logging so if he's unable to grow crops basically because of an act of god or an act of nature then he does not need to repay that grain to his creditor and he shall suspend any of his of his legal contracts of that debt and will not need to pay interest until the next year. That's super reasonable. That's like very Isn't that reasonable. that super reasonable? <laughs> That's super <laughs> duper reasonable. Wait, it's reasonable. said it said all of this on the statue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, 
this is an English. This is an English uh, translation of an example that was given um, on the statue. It's a yeah. very compact was, language. Very detailed. <laughs> Maybe that's why it was seven feet tall. <laughs> it was really. There's a lot in there. <laughs> wow. Okay. Cool. But isn't that crazy? That so. If God, quotation marks, if the storm God or if nature fucks over your land and you it's too wet, too dry to grow anything, then obviously that's an act of nature and an act of God. Then you shall be forgiven of your debt for that year. Um, but someone breaks into your house and we don't even get a chance to know why. Maybe they're starving. Maybe they are homeless and scared or whatever it might be. You just kill them. Like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that has some implications. <laughs> oh my god! I really thought it was gonna just be cut off a hand, but it's it's just kill him. Yeah, yeah I thought that too, Drew. I thought it was just gonna be you know, yeah, cut the hand off. Wow. Yeah, it's a bit, but then it gets very, very reasonable, very more in depth for the different things. So this, this is an example of like, um, like professionalism in contracts. So remember, this is almost 4,000 years old, which again, just incredible. (laughs) But the example is if a builder constructs a house for, and all of these are for a man, but you know, in my leftist feminism bullshit, I'm just going to say a human because sure, you know, yeah, time's up. But um, so if a builder constructs a house for a person and does not make it conform to the specifications so that a wall then buckles, that builder shall make that wall sound using his own silver. So basically, if you build something and it is not, it's like, it's like a warranty. Like if it doesn't last Mm. as long or as good as it should, you need to cover that expense of it. Oh, which again, very reasonable. So, okay, interesting. So, I have a tiny bit of history. <laughs> yes, hit us with history. I collect really old bottles. This is known. <laughs> but I have a very old bottle that has a, um, on the glass itself, it has a little horizontal bar somewhere along the top of the, um, the glass and it basically has like it's like a test I think it's like annotated by like a test marker or something like that and um, I was very interested in the history of just the the glass technique and and like why the bottles take on this form or whatever and it just so happens that this particular bottle um, is from a company that is still in business called Watkins and they are from uh, the Midwest which is where I got it which is where I picked it up and it was hilarious to me because I actually had Watkins brand um, uh, almond extract in my cupboard. <laughs> so like, I still <laughs> buy from this company. This particular glass is from the late 1800s. But this little um, bar that is etched into the glass was a sort of trial marker. And the idea was that back in the days of traveling salesmen, you could try their product up to that line. And if you didn't like it, you got your money back. 
Wow. (laughs) And so I thought that, I mean, at least everything I had read, particularly about Watkins Company, was that they were one of the first people to do this. And so I was under the impression that this was an old concept, but but relatively modern. So this to me is incredible that all the way back 4,000 years ago, this kind of guarantee was still part of <laughs> yes. commerce. Yeah. yeah. Oh Very my gosh, awesome. that's so cool. I wonder what they did with the, so if they drank a little bit, they didn't like it. Did they just top it back up and sell it to the next person? <laughs> Probably. That's what I wonder too. Like, did they just put a little water in there? <laughs> no one will know. No one will know. No one will know. They're not going to know. No one's going to know. No one's going to know. Well, yeah. So they had, I think, um, well, most of this, which I'll get to later on, is like, they, they think it's kind of this foundation key for many ancient civilizations into now more uh, modern civilizations into how they handle different things and obviously we handle things differently now for some cases but in others um, like professionalism we still have that idea of a guarantee on work um, Mm -hmm. which is so so cool so um, another couple of things which I think is really really fun um, this is on rates of hire so I thought this was really cool so they had um hire uh, a heap of things about what are the wages of different craftsmen and how much should you pay them as well as like if you're hiring boats how much should you pay for boats um, to move around for your trade Um, and so an example they give is if a man rents a boat uh, of 60 capacity they shall give one sixth of the silver per day per hire so it's like one of the it's kind of like a percentage of the capacity of the boat is the cost of its hire oh interesting yeah you pay per size or per capacity which i thought was really really interesting and really cool i think it's also really weird how standardized like (laughs) uh, i don't know there's like really no arguing with that like what if somebody was just like way better at their job than somebody else you would get paid the same Hmm. yeah i guess you might be in more demand you probably have better references Mm. around (laughs) town (laughs) this guy doesn't build walls that fall over This augurist from, from Egypt gets Egypt. all the best <laughs> results. <laughs> he really knows his eagles. <laughs> yeah. Um. Ancient Yelp. Ancient yeah, Yelp. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I thought I'd finish on a bit of a higher note, and this is all about oxes and other other cows and pigs and other things that might be wandering around in your local town just um, wandering around <laughs> just wandering around yeah yeah <laughs> so this is this is my favorite one <laughs> if an ox gores to death a man while it is passing through the streets that case has no bias for a claim uh, so basically, if you're the family of a man or a person who is gored to death on the street by someone's oh. ox, uh, it was on public property. So, you know, no one's at fault. You can't sue the owner of the ox. Oh, shit. <laughs> Seems a little extreme. 
Yeah. And how many times did this happen that they had to put it into law? I, enough, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> that is a really great point. Yeah. Um, so I thought I'd wrap it up with um, just some theories of the purpose of this monolith. And so some there's obviously the theory that it was strict legislation and these were... Um, you know, these were laws written in stone to be obeyed by the civilians of of a certain area. Um, So that is one theory that this very much was the law of the land. Um, Another theory is that it was just a report of law. So it was um, a report of some of the groundbreaking cases. So you can think of it almost like when we think of um, like Supreme Court cases that have precedence. For, for certain things. This was kind of like these precedent cases that, that instated, you know, this is what has happened, so this is now the new law. Okay. Um, which similar, sim- same, same, but different legislation, I guess. And then the final theory um, is that it is not a true code or a true law, but it is an abstract of how judgments should be formulated through the time. So it is like examples of things that might not have happened or might not have been you know valid within their society at that point in time but just as an example of what would the law do for these examples um which is pretty cool uh yeah yeah. so i yeah i thought i would wrap up on on that and i thought it was really really interesting there's so 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 much that i didn't get to go into um, but it is fascinating and it's just a beautiful piece of history as well. So please come and follow us on Go Ask Alice Pod at Twitter or Go Ask Alice Podcast on Instagram to see all the photos because it is really, really interesting. I'm excited to see the photos too. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> oh yeah, let me let me send you send you a monolith. Woo! Here you go, there oh, she is. Oh wow. I just thought it was gonna be a giant man. <laughs> no, it's, it's not a giant man. It's a column. <laughs> okay, phallus, sure. <laughs> it's a big column. Yeah, it's a column with like a little like scene at the top and then a lot of writing. Yeah. Do you think this is how they like let people know what the laws were? They just like had this posted up somewhere like, hey, just so we're all on the same page about this. Don't make that mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so this is um, there's copies of it around as well. So this is some of the thing I didn't get to go into. But there's there's instances of certain laws being transcribed onto other um, like stone tablets to be, you know, transferred around cities and communities. Um, so this is just an example of it all compiled together. And this is probably the most well-known version of it. Um, Interesting. But yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Hey. I love that. I love that. And what a wild, a wild ride from like very sensible, you know, debt collecting to less sensible man killing. Yeah. murder <laughs> or murder you know, i love how it's like if you break into someone's house you're dead outside their house but if an ox that's no one's no one saw that that's no one's no problem no one's fault they don't even kill the ox <laughs> yeah. like, it, 
it's wild. It shows how much they valued certain human life. I I just think it's hilarious that the the, the issue you take with this is that they should have killed the ox <laughs> out of being like fair. No, 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 no. No, they shouldn't kill anybody. But like, if it was fair and just, they should probably kill the ox. <laughs> but again. <laughs> vegetarian over here he can't read sarah the ox doesn't know what the laws are he can't see the fucking thing that's a very reasonable point the poor little guy he had no idea (laughs) (laughs) he shouldn't gore on people in the street yeah not on public property you do that where there are laws (laughs) (laughs) you guys are like i feel like i feel like somehow I switched places with you guys this week. I feel like normally mine are not so quantitative. I don't know. And then Drew I think just you swapped went... places with Drew. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I stayed in my same lane. <laughs> You've got, you got a good thing. Don't change. As always, thank you so much for hanging out with us, you guys. Apparently, just before this call, we learned that Spotify has allowed for uh, rating on on its app. So I think that you may have to listen to a few episodes on Spotify before it lets you um, have that. And I'm sure that all of your podcasts are asking for it right now. So sorry to be so basic, but we would love to see anything that you guys want to engage with us, whether it's on Twitter at Go Ask Alice Pod, whether it's through TikTok or Instagram, which I believe I know is Go Ask Alice Podcast. Yeah, you got it right. I got it. Yeah. It's like this is my time the charm. (laughs) (laughs) Anywhere that it is natural for you to be hanging out in your own natural habitat, that is where we want to find you. So come hang out with us. And thank you so, so, so much for spending time with us today. And I hope you learned something really cool like we did. Bye. Bye. You you got a baby in there? That's disgusting.